In antiquity, the Pillars of Hercules referenced two large peaks on either side of the modern-day Straits of Gibraltar. The northern pillar, residing on the European continent, and the southern pillar, located on the northern tip of the African continent. For a time, this narrow distance between pillars, about 20 miles, allowed for early civilizations to traverse between these continents with relative ease. And before about 1500 AD, the culture and people you'd find on one side of the strait would be very similar to what you'd find on the other. And from about 700 AD onwards, the culture in the region was Muslim and Arabic, as the Moors moved up from North Africa and conquered Iberia through the straits. But in the late 15th century, the United Christian Kingdoms of the newly formed Spanish Empire conquered and expelled the Muslim leaders. This created the divergence which still exists today. Christian European culture to the north, Muslim and Arabic culture to the south. And the magnitude of this divergence is at its most broad when looked at through the prism of world football. The European continent boasts 11 World Cup champions and 15 runners-up. No African team has even made the semifinals. But for all their differences, the countries separated by the Straits of Gibraltar share one key thing in common, a World Cup group. We'll see firsthand if the world football powerhouse Spain continues their dominance, or if their North African neighbor can pull a surprise upset and show the gap in skill isn't as large as history would show. This week on Joe Picks a World Cup Team, Morocco. Joe Picks a World Cup Team the state's no football, but not football, it seems. So now he needs a surrogate. Dan will help him look for it. They'll have decisions to make, like how much genocide's a deal break. Joe picks a World Cup team. He's crossing borders to find out who's for him. What more could you ask for? It's time to stamp your Joe picking passport. So grab your bottle and pour. Let's hope he doesn't start a war. Dan, let me ask you this. What's the difference between a strait and a canal? A canal is like a tiny man-made thing. This strait is like 20 miles wide. It's fucking huge. 20 miles is, I mean, like how, how, how wide is, is the Panama Canal? I imagine it's probably pretty big, right? The Panama Canal, where they, they a man-made thing where ships go through the Panama Canal is like, a hundred feet wide or something. Is the man-madeness of it, is that what distinguishes a strait from a canal? Is a, is a canal a man-made strait? A canal a man-made strait. A strait is, I don't know what a strait is, Joe. I mean, we know there is a strait of Gibraltar, which is a thing that's somewhere between, I think, seven and 20 miles wide. And it's, it's full of like ocean wads, like where the ocean meets the Mediterranean Sea. A canal is definitely a man, like canals they were making like, 300 years ago when like horses were pulling little ships it's not like the most advanced technology i mean they're not even comparable is what you're saying they're not even comparable at all like if you had said oh what's the difference between a strait and a river i would have said i don't know joe that's a really intelligent question but like they didn't make this strait god made this or hercules made it so i'm saying is is a is a canal just a man-made strait that was my question well because the strait is really so, like, a canal is a way to, a, a, a canal is a way to get from, like, point A to point B over water. And I think it's like a road for boats. 
Whereas I think a straight is just like, like this is just a way to get into the Mediterranean Sea from the Atlantic Ocean. Like it's it's more like a door. It's not like a road. It's just there. Right. Right. I mean, it seems like you have straits, canals, rivers, bays. I mean, I don't even know where like the Puget Sound, like a sound. I don't know where that factors in. Yeah, I think that's a bay. Yeah, is a sound just a fancy word for a bay? I think a sound is a type of bay, but I don't mm-hmm. know why it's called a sound and not a bay. Or maybe a bay is a type of sound. I'm not sure. Is there like a specific, like we, you know, we talked about ornithologists in our last season. Is there like a specific scientist that studies like body of water types? Aqualogist? Aqualogist? Yeah, I'm sure there's an aqualogist. I mean, it'd be great if an aqualogist would write in. Yeah, because there are too many names for all of these things. And, you know, this is, I remember growing up and people were like, oh, this ocean versus that ocean. And I was like, boy, I wonder what happens when, like, it goes from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. There's nothing. There's no special thing. It's just like all connected. Yeah. Yeah. It's just all one giant body of water that they just gave these names to that for these random areas. And then, like, seas, seas versus oceans, like, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's a that's a thing. Although I think the South China Sea, I think that's just part of the ocean. I think they just called it that. Well, like what about like the Indian Ocean? Like I think there are some seas that are bigger than the Indian Ocean. I don't think so. What's the biggest sea? I mean, the Mediterranean Sea is a pretty big sea. That's for sure. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty big. Yeah, pretty big. I mean, the Indian Ocean though, I think is bigger. Well, look, I mean, I think. We we have more questions than answers so far on this podcast, Dan. I do honestly remember as a kid when I when because I, I you know I'm a bit of a know it all type, and I remember somebody was asking about the number of oceans, and I was like, oh, I know the number of oceans. I think it's seven. I don't know. And then yeah. somebody was like, oh, I I don't think it's seven. I don't think th- this one's officially an ocean. I was like, well, screw you. And then I looked it up, and then I like realized it just had a dawning moment. Where I was like, wait. There's really just one ocean. Like, this is all bullshit. <laughs> like, there's no real it's reason. It's all part of the same body of water. Like, if they ever yeah. ask you the question, how many oceans are there? Every answer is correct. Like, unless you say zero, that, that would not be correct. But literally, any number between one and a million is correct. You're just drawing <laughs> any line you want. Yeah, so I hope I, our fans put write that down if they got that wrong on their tests as kids. Just say one or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Just say, you tell me. Make them up however you want. All right. Now that we've gotten to the bottom of that, Joe. (laughs) Dan, what are we drinking? So, Joe, as we learned in the intro, Morocco, it's a bit of a a Muslim country. And I'll tell you, I don't want to say anything about the Muslims in a derogatory way. But just as a fact, they don't like alcohol. And they're right. they're not known as like a, a a mixology people. They're not known, and I think they actually don't like when other people drink. They really they're very strict. You know that they're, they're big rule followers. They make a lot of rules, and you. Damn I mean, well other Muslims. Follow them. I don't think they care if we're drinking right now. Well, I think they wouldn't care if we're drinking now in the comfort of our own homes. But I think if we go to Morocco, we could get into some situations if we're doing it on uh, some sort of yeah, holiday. Yeah. Or something. That's fair. That's fair. Sure. I mean, I'm not. Sure. Morocco might be a little looser due to its proximity to the. Christian uh, European places that I mentioned, but I know some of those Muslim countries, they're very strict. But Superfan Sean sends in Morocco. Alcohol is legal, but the national drink is mint tea. I knew it was going to be some kind of tea. He said, my friend went to Morocco and got hassled by touts the entire time. Another friend went there, ate meat at a market and was ill for three months. (laughs) Holy shit. That's bad. (laughs) That's really quite sick. 
On the other hand, Casablanca is one of my favorite movies. So he says, have either mint tea or a Bogart mint sour. Ah, in honor of Humphrey Bogart. That makes sense. Uh, So we're having a Bogart mint sour, which for people mixing these drinks at home is one and a half ounces of Maker's Mark, half fresh lemon, two dashes of Demerara syrup, orange slices, mint, and you combine all the ingredients on the rocks. Did you have Demerara syrup? Uh, No, uh, but what I did find for people who want to make this right now is if you mix orange bitters with um, simple syrup, it's a good approximation. Ooh, that sounds good. Mm -hmm. Like an old-fashioned, but with some extra stuff with some mint in there, actually. Yeah, we'll talk about it in the review, but um, I have some some thoughts about this drink, Dan. Wow. Some, Some real thoughts. Well, I, for the first time, you know, I'm sick again, of course. I was like, oh, my God, I can finally drink the official drink. And I had all day to get mint tea, and I didn't get any. So <laughs> I'm just drinking normal tea. That's close enough. Though. I mean, I think they drink all, all sorts of tea in Morocco. Yeah. I will say, you know, my only experience with Morocco, Dan, is I got into a really big fight with the owner of a Moroccan restaurant once over his... Um, absurd rules around his Groupon that he was offering. But I won't I won't hold it against the country. They're sticklers, uh, Joe. They're sticklers. Oh, man, they really are. Dan, do you have any Moroccan experiences? I, I can't say I have any Moroccan experiences. I don't think I've ever been to a Moroccan restaurant. I'm not sure what type of food Moroccan food is. It's great, but don't try and don't try and use a Groupon, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> All right. Drink out of the way, Joe. Wow. Before we get into this episode, we're popping open the mailbag. We've got a mailbag from your friend, Emily. She says, hi, Dan and Joe. Now note, she's not a, uh, a super fan yet. She, she hasn't figured out the, the, secret, uh, the secret lounge. So treat her as normal as you would treat somebody new to the podcast. No special non, treatment. Just non-super fan. Just non-super fan. Run-of-the-mill, rank-and-file fan. But you do know her. Your friend Emily. Yes. Yes. Hi, Dan and Joe. Short-time listener, long-time person who puts up with Joe, but hoping to be a newly minted superfan. And she says, a female superfan, no less. Little does she know, we, we have tons of female superfans. Absolutely. We may have more female superfan than male superfans. I mean, the, the Fantasy Football League, I think, is like 15 women. The two of us, which, I mean, sh- she doesn't even know. Anyways. After being subjected to Joe's harassment when I visit him and his tyrant wife, I have jumped on board with listening to this podcast. I am still a little sore that Joe did not pick Chicago as NFL team, and I'm convinced he consumed the absolutely wrong drink. I mean, come on. She talks about that for another paragraph, but that's ancient history. I mean, look, that's what happens when you have a Green Bay Packer fan doing the research. No, that's true. Yeah, that's right. That Bears episode. That was a little spotty. (laughs) However... I have a new reason to continue on with your World Cup series. My husband and I are taking a two-week honeymoon in Europe this summer that happens to coincide with the World Cup. We want in on the action of watching games in a place that actually cares about the results. As a Cubs fan, we are now addicted to the feeling of rooting for a winning team and the excitement of high-stakes games. Two areas that I think you should consider in discussing a team is the food the region provides and what music is synonymous with the country. While Sweden brought us Swedish meatballs, they also gave us lutefisk, a jello-like fish that sits in solution for over a week and smells like the bottom of an old middle school gym walker. 
and Australia sent us the BG's ACDC Men at Work and Silver Chair. I'll let you smart listeners decide if those are worthy of our ears. Oh, she doesn't even mention Vegemite. Vegemite? Vegemite's got to be worse than Lutefisk. Come on, Emily. <laughs> Both of these topics are important because the backgrounds of the fans are going to bring these cultural elements to the games. Plus, who doesn't like food and music? We all do. Except for she says you like really bad music. Just some thoughts. Happy to be on board. Looking forward to finding a new team. Well, look, we're not going to talk about music, Dan, because we have two sections that cover that already, in my opinion, because we have the celebrity. So any great musician is going to be covered in, in Karsten's extensive, thorough research. That's true. And we have the national anthem. What, what better example of a country's music than what they pick for their national anthem? You don't think we should add more categories, Joe? Why not add five new categories? Look, but what I will say is if Emily wants to do research for us on the food and, and send it in, we'll talk about it every week, Dan. I don't mind. I mean, the thing is, you already talked about it. You know the Moroccan food and you know their stance on Groupons. Exactly. We know we know they are strict constructionists when it comes to the Groupon terms and terms of services. Emily, if you want to be a fan emeritus and send in some food research, we'll be happy to discuss. But I think we also need Groupon research because, yes. like, go to a Costa Rican place, go to Uruguay restaurant. We need to know exactly what the various cultures feel about Groupon and, and coupons in general, I'd say. Yeah, what it... What is the coupon culture in each country? Hugely important. Yeah, because it might be something in Muslim culture where coupons are somehow forbidden for whatever reason. Coupons are a form of gambling, yes. <laughs> it is true. It is true. Because you're getting a discount and it's like a gamble on sometimes the expiration date, you don't know. Sometimes you're not sure Absolutely. if it applies to the, the particular item. It's true. It's true. It's, it's a gamble every time. Yeah. Wow. I mean... Honestly, I think they might have it right. I think the world would be a better place if there were no coupons. <laughs> so, Dan, does Emily earn superfan status? Uh, I think if she starts doing the research, well, then she'd be a fan emeriti. Yeah, give it to her. Why not? All right. What's our sound effect for super? Perfect. You're a superfan. Congratulations. Wow. Okay. Hey, um, so I do have uh, a little bit of feedback from the Russia episode. Oh, oh my goodness. Our most controversial episode to date. I've been, every time I've gone in and out of my house at night, I'm really looking around for any suspicious people. My Twitter followers tripled with <laughs> Russian bots. Uh, <laughs> every time you tweet anything and it gets like six auto pro-Trump responses, exactly. no matter what you say. Exactly. I don't know why all my mentions have uh, hashtag MAGA on them after <laughs> afterwards now. Okay. So uh, the, the aptly named, Really, I love it when these Reddit names just hit the nail on the head. Soviet Italian says, since I'm Italian and we got eliminated, I'm also looking for a team to root for. Then he says, I have hope for Russia. I think he actually is a Russian Italian. So I I was trying to figure out what a Russian Italian accent would sound like, but um, I have hope for Russia. They've picked up their slack in the past few months and with major home advantage moral boost. They can do some great things. Uh, just, Giuseppe, pass me the pasta. <laughs> Amo Giuseppe, pass <laughs> me the vodka. <laughs> the Soviet Italian. I mean, poor guy. Italian fan, but at least he has a fallback. The team Soviet Union broke up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 25 just, years just, ago. Just, the hits keep coming and yeah. coming. <laughs> it's tough. Although, somewhere in between, Italy did win the World Cup. So, at least he's got that to cling to. It's true. So, uh, so there you go, Soviet Italian with the great fan feedback for the Russia episode. All right, great. 
Well, Joe, let's just jump right into it. Let's start learning about this great country, which we're going to be talking about today, Morocco, in a section I like to call Homeland Handbook. I'm not going to do the background because you got the gist in the, the intro. So what are the, the people that live there? Well, there's a Moroccan, a group of Moroccans who are all, you guessed it, Moroccan. The languages. The official language is Arabic. Also, the Berber languages are spoken. And the language of business, government, and diplomacy is French. Wow. Religion. 99% Muslim. Wow. The other 1% includes Christians, Jews, and Baha'i, whatever that is. Note, this is specifically noted, the population of Jews is estimated to be 6,000. So you could definitely be on a first-name basis with every Jew. The capital city of Morocco is Rabat. And that's it for Homeland Handbook. But Joe... Let's jump right into everybody's favorite segment, Joe Guesses Aspects of the Country. So, Joe, you've listened to the intro, you've gone through Homeland Handbook, which really aren't telling you anything about this particular question. But, Joe, no. what, what's the chief export of Morocco? What is the chief export of Morocco? How could okay. you even begin to guess this? Well, we mentioned tea earlier. They make a lot of tea, but I feel like you'd have to export a shitload of tea for it to be your number one export. Unfortunately, they don't have a monopoly on the mint leaves. Hold on, hold on, hold on. on. I'm not, am I guessing that, Dan? I'm just, we're talking things out here. I know, I'm telling you, the mint grows like a weed. So like, I'm sure somebody could just go over there, pick some mint, start growing it wherever. They could copy that tea. You don't need to export that. I actually feel like Morocco probably imports a lot more tea than they export. They're probably not making the tea. They're just buying the tea. Mm, Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, it's a coastal country so they probably have a lot of ports and a lot of access to like those like the abundant fish in the strait (laughs) known known for its big game fishing yes absolutely no look i'm gonna say morocco morocco uh this is tough man this is tough i mean look i'm gonna default i'm gonna default to Generic, let's say, spices. Spices, Joe. He's an idiot. Idiot. There's a, there's, that's too much. There's no way you could have possibly gotten this. This is where it gets fucking crazy. So, as it turns out, their chief export, their number one chief export, is impossible to get, but at least you've heard the word before. That would be <laughs> a car. Their chief export is Jeez. automobiles. So, very interestingly enough, they are like the Mexico to the U.S. as um, Morocco is to, like, France. So, France has a bunch of car assembly plants in Morocco because the labor there is a little bit cheaper. And it's not just them. It's all uh, all people. I think Ford was opening a, um, a car manufacturing plant there. So, they basically – I think they're – car export like 10 years ago or 20 years ago was zero and now it's yeah. their chief export because all these foreign countries have come in and put their factories there so it's not like there's like moroccan it's not like you're like oh you know fiat is actually a moroccan company it's it's that they're they're assembling fiats and and whatever they're assembling all these cars i actually believe fiat was the first person to put a uh, factory in there yeah so they are it that's is, why i said that i mean obviously famously fiat put their factory in morocco of course i knew that <laughs> 
Why didn't you guess it, Joe? Damn it. You could have nailed it. So um, it's all these European countries um, putting their factories there in Morocco. And their second one, and this one's crazy. You wouldn't have gotten it, but this was their chief export before the car thing blew up. And that would be, you said spices. Well, Joe, spices are just a different part of the timeline for this thing. Spices come from plants. Plants come out of the ground. And plants eat fertilizer. And so as it turns out, 75% of the planet's known reserves of phosphorus, which is a key ingredient in commercial fertilizer, is in Morocco. So phosphorus, just piles of phosphorus, is their second chief export. So had that been their number one, you would have given it to me when I said spice. You would have been like, all right, that's close enough. Uh, I don't think so. You would have had to say, you know, you would have had to say plants. No, there's no way. You would have really had to, um, I mean, maybe with the tea, you were closer because tea is a plant too, I think. Although I'm not actually sure what tea is. I mean, tea is like a bunch of herbs and stuff, which are plants, I suppose. Yeah. 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 I don't know. (laughs) What is tea? What's a straight? I I don't know. Questions. Like I said, more questions. Yeah. (laughs) The questions that plague humanity. (laughs) We'll never know. But Joe, something you might know, because, hey- you only have to guess a number between 1 through 32, and a bunch of them are already taken. Morocco, out of the 32 World Cup countries, where do they rank by population? 1 to 32. All you have to do is guess within three, and you will be correct, Joe. Where are they? Okay, now, am I allowed to ask for reminders of the countries we've already done? You can ask, but I don't know them, so. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Morocco's pretty big. Like, I feel like there's just a lot of cities in Morocco. So I'm going to guess that they are number 11. Number 11, Joe. <whistles> Oof. Mm. Pretty close, but also not that close. They are square in the middle. They are number 16 out of 32 with 35.7 million people, the number 39th largest country overall. So they are big. And I don't want to dispute that. I mean, this is, they're in the top half, just barely. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not quite uh, one of those, one of the the big boys, I'd say, up at 11. But, you know, they're a fairly good guess. I mean, it could have been a lot worse, Joe. I mean, if we were doing top third, middle third, bottom third, I would have gotten it right. Yeah, barely. 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would have to open up the calculator and then double check that. But, yeah. I mean, would you have guessed middle third? I guess you probably would have. Yeah, I would have. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We're making it a little more difficult than that, Joe. We've we're upping our podcast game. God damn it! Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. By the end of this, by the last episode, I'm gonna get it spot on. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, look, this is the first half of a, a double header. You have another shot later tonight. Yes, I'm ready. Let's do it. Before we can get to that episode, we need to get through this one. So let's go to section number one. You don't want a team that's too good or too bad. You want to know about the road to qualification. And you want to know about the World Cup history. Let's start with the World Cup history. The last time they qualified for the World Cup before this year was 1998. In France, they didn't make it out of the group. 1994, they qualified, didn't make it out of the group. In 1986, they made it out of the group, but were eliminated right after that. And in 1970, the only time they qualified before, they didn't make it out of the group. So... This is a country that has qualified for five World Cups, including this one. They have won a total of two games 
in their 13 matches, but they did make it out of the group one time. So, Joe, this is a country that is not, I would say, a World Cup power. They are uh, a, uh, you know, they're one of those teams that that pops in here and there and, you know, maybe make some noise occasionally, but, um, you know, not, not predicted to. Right, right. And with that said, let's hear about the road to qualification, which, Joe, is going to be very interesting because guess what? This is our first country from the continent of Africa. And so we get to learn about how Africa World Cup qualifying works, Joe. And I'll tell you, it's a trip. It's a trip. Brace it. I hope you're sitting down for this. I mean, I, you can see that I am not sitting down. I'm standing. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm excited. I'm just I, saying, I actually know very little about how African qualification works. With your African heritage, this if you were if you were supporting your home country, your team would have to go through this every four years. And as you'll see, this qualification is not for the faint of heart. So, first of all, we've got 54 countries in the CAF, the Confederation of African Football. All 54 entered. However, Zimbabwe was expelled from the competition because they did not pay their former coach a severance fee. So Ooh, that's a brutal way to get eliminated. <laughs> that's brutal. I know. You gotta pay FIFA, they're they're like they're a cartel, Joe. If you don't pay up, they, they come over, they knock you out of qualifying, no problem. You got some nice qualifying over here. It'd be a shame if I uh, expelled you. <laughs> Jeez. I mean I mean like that that guy must be pretty hated in Zimbabwe. Like, look, just just be cool about it. Yeah. His name is Jose Claudine. Popular Zimbabwean name. Yeah. yeah. It's very common. A native of Zimbabwe. So, yeah. Every time he walks around there, people give him the stink eye. Anyways, so you've got 54 teams. One of them's already eliminated. So you have 53 teams. Here's what they do. The, the top half gets a bye in the first round. The bottom 20, the bottom half which normally would be 27 teams, but this year was only 26 because of Zimbabwe. They play a home-and-home qualifier to get into the second round. So for the bottom half, they play two games, and that's mm-hmm. it. And so mm-hmm. they're, you know, you're, you're matched up against somebody in the bottom half of the draw, but that's it. You play one bad and is game. And is that seated or is that just like random draw? So it is, it is roughly seated. So among that 27, the the better half is, is generally playing the worst half, but it is, it's sort of, it's a, like a random draw, but it, yeah. it is like weighted. So that's it. So of these bottom 27, they play home and home. That's it. The, the, you lose the home and home, you lose the aggregate score, you're out. So that's it. 13 teams play two games, they're out. Now. So a fourth of the teams are just, yeah, they get two games in their qualifier and they're done. They're done. And now, Look, get that's this, stressful. we go to the second round of qualifying. So we've got our top 27 teams that got a buy, yeah. and we've got our 13 teams that are coming in. And guess what happens in the second round? Another home and home. So they allocate, they take, it's the same type of thing where the teams are ranked 1 through 40, and then they, they do the weighting, but they also do the like uh, some random draw. They just match you up with somebody else, and you just play a home and home. And whoever loses that is out. So oh. this is like this is like the March Madness version of qualifying. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. So after that, you have these 40 teams, 20 home and homes. Somebody wins, somebody loses, that's it. Now you're down to 20 teams. Okay. So now we enter the third round, and the third round is much more traditional. So 
every team, you know, to the point of March Madness, like the number one team in March Madness, they still got to play the 16th seed. Like they're, they're favored to win. They could lose. Right. So every, every single team's gone through that. Then you get into round three, which is these 20 remaining teams are put into five groups of four. They just play a double round robin and the winner of each group gets a World Cup slot. That's it. There's no second place bullshit. There's no intercontinental qualifier. The oh, that's con- it. Con- that's Confederation it. Yeah. of African Football has five slots. They make it up into five groups and you win your group, you get it. You lose your group, you don't get it. So this is, I mean, brutal qualifying. Like, yeah. Though I, though I, like, I think it makes sense actually why there might be more variance in like what, what African teams are in. Like you think about like, like Cameroon or Ghana, I don't know when in the process they got eliminated, but I mean, even, even the only the first place teams getting through that, like even that alone is, is, is harsh. Um, because if you end up with two good teams in, in the same group, like, but too bad. Like one of them is not going to get into the World Cup, no yeah. matter what. And those are those are like seeded, but you know, to your point, it's not. If you happen to get, you know, based on the random draw, the first best team and maybe the sixth best team or whatever, yeah, right. One, only one can qualify by definition. <laughs> right, right. So, like, I think it makes sense why. I mean, you you, you see these other um, federations that tend to like, you know. There'll be a surprise team that's out, a surprise team that's in, maybe a few of those each time, but like tend to be pretty stable in who they end up sending to the World Cup. And I guess it makes sense why Africa, at least from like my anecdotal like memory of it, just seems to be more all over the map. No, no, I agree. I think it is all over the map. And I think I, I actually wondered why they do this. And I tried to look it up. I couldn't figure it out. And I'm wondering if and look, I don't want to besmirch Africa as the great continent it is, an up and coming continent. But I wonder if. So if you look at South American qualifying, you know, it only has 10 teams. Every team just plays each other twice. So each team plays 18 games of qualification. If we look at Europe, it's the the same type of deal. Like, you know, you have to do a few matches to get in, um, but you're playing more than that. Like teams kind of get the chance. But in Africa, you really don't get the chance. I mean, if you're one of those bottom half teams, you play two games and you're out like you you don't even get a chance so, i mean imagine you're a team that's coming together and you're trying to like get chemistry or whatever you have two games to figure it out and even if you're a top 20 team you then get two games to figure it out i mean you can have the same thing happen if one player gets hurt twist an ankle whatever you can be out of it and i wonder if it's just because because of the economic status of these countries, they just really can't afford to have their teams playing so many games. And it's very important for them to sort of like eliminate a lot of teams like on the cheap, you know? I mean, that's an interesting theory. I mean, the other thing I was thinking that might be the case, the other thing I was thinking is that, you know, 52 countries is a lot for a federation. And like Europe, I don't know how many European, you know, how many UEFA teams? I'm sure we could easily find out in a second. But like, you know, maybe there are roughly the same number of UEFA teams, but it's the same number fighting over way more spots. So to have 52 Definitely. teams collapse into five spots, I mean, we were talking about South America. South America is, how many spots did they get? 
I think they might get. I think they might get five plus one or something like five that. Five plus one, but for only like. 10 or maybe countries. it's four plus one. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. But for only ten, that means yeah, yeah. half of South America is going. Definitely. Five out of fifty-two means that only ten percent of Africa is going. But right, so compared to Concacaf, which Concacaf is also another massive region, Concacaf has thirty-five teams, and Concacaf only has three and a half slots. So right, I think yeah. But I think in CONCACAF qualifying, like, I think the crappy teams in CONCACAF, no offense, I mean, they're just not good at soccer. I think they get at least a chance to prove themselves. Like, I don't, I think they get to play more matches than just two and you're out. Yeah, but my point with the African system is that, okay, so the crappy teams get very little chance in the African system. But if you say that we have, like, that they have maybe 20 teams that are mediocre to good, like, between those 20 teams... Those 20 teams within the, within the span of five World Cups will probably qualify for one of them just because of the huge amount of variance in the system. Yeah. Whereas like in CONCACAF, like more or less, except when the U.S. totally fucks it up, like like it's going to – like our four spots, spots will almost definitely be filled by four of maybe seven teams. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I actually looked it up because um, CONCACAF has – five rounds of qualifying the first three actually are just home and homes where you just it, it <laughs> right, is kind right, of like yeah. this system i i, I think it, it must be i think it's probably a combination of the issues where i think it's these random countries just can't be playing like 20 ma- i mean it's not just the random countries because i'm just thinking about it you're right it's not just the countries playing you have to have referees you have to have travel i mean right if you're right, having right. all of these countries play these giant things and so in Concacaf, it isn't until the fourth round that they start playing in little pools but all the good teams advance directly to the fourth round so Concacaf sort of gets if you're one of the like top teams you don't have to even mess with the home and home like you're always getting a chance whereas in africa Every team has to do the home and home madness before you get into the the groups, right? Which is which, which is hugely interesting. Yeah, no, I like yeah. that. Anyways, so now we've got that out of the way. So for all our Confederation of African Football teams, we know sort of what the general path looks like, and let's talk about Morocco. So Morocco was the twenty third seed based on the FIFA World Rankings at the beginning of qualifying. So this meant they got a buy out of the first round because they were in the top half. Uh, just barely, but they were. So they go into the second round, and they get actually quite a bad draw. They are get picked to play the best team, not in the top third, which was the 14th seed, Equatorial Guinea. So they really, basically, the, the random draw could have been anywhere between, I think, like 14 and like, I think they could have even played somebody worse than them by these ratings, but they're playing the best team, Equatorial Guinea, in their like middle region. But they win their, their matchup at home to zip. Then they go to Equatorial Guinea and they lose 0-1. But hey, that's all they needed. They went on aggregate 2-1. to one. Great. So they go into round three. So they get put in a pot with four other teams. We've got Morocco as the 23rd best team according to the FIFA rankings. Although, you know, we know how inaccurate they are, especially for these countries that aren't playing like these massive international schedules. But you're saying they were ranked 23rd out of African teams, right? Out of out African. Of I'm saying it's yeah. based on yes. the FIFA rankings, but yes. Yes. It's not even point. Their FIFA ranking is number 84 in the world, but again, it's right, like... Right, 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 yeah. I think once you're like past whatever, the top 10, like... I'm not saying they're like the 11th best team in the world, but I, I mean, 84, 50, 30, like, what's the difference? Right. 
Anyways, they get put into this group with Gabon, who's the 15th best team in Africa, Mali, the 13th best team, and Ivory Coast, the second best team by the FIFA World Rankings. Yeah. So they are the worst team by far. So they start their qualifying with a couple of nil-nil draws against Gabon and Ivory Coast, which again, for Morocco, great start. You know, you're playing Gabon to a draw who's better than you. You're playing Ivory Coast to a draw who's much better than you. Great. So then in their next game, they they get a going. 6-0 win over Mali. That's huge. Then they play Mali again in their next match. They go from a 6-0 win to a 0-0 draw. But whatever. They're still fine. Then they play Gabon, and they have a 3-0 win. So if you're keeping track at home, they've played five matches, two wins, three draws. They're sitting pretty at nine points. Ivory Coast... At this point, after having played five games, is two two and one. They're sitting at eight points, and the final game of the qualifier is Morocco playing Ivory Coast in the Ivory Coast. Oh, for the World Cup berth. So it basically the way the the point system shook out. If Morocco gets a draw, they're in. If they get a win, they're in. But if Ivory Coast wins, they're in. So it's basically this is just a World Cup play-in game. So the game starts. Ivory Coast heavily favored, but. Morocco scores a couple of goals within the first 30 minutes. They hold on. They win the game 2-0. That's it. They won the entire match. They finish their group with three wins and three draws. They score 11 goals. They don't allow a single goal in the final stage of the qualification. And they qualify for the World Cup, trouncing the rest of their group. And that's how they made it in. And the news story when Morocco made it in was not Morocco made it into the World Cup. It was Ivory Coast bounced from the world cup what a sad time you know like what you know the storyline was much like when the u.s got eliminated it wasn't oh honduras is in or whatever it was oh the ivory coast how did they fuck up so badly but whatever ivory coast loss morocco's gain and look morocco did it morocco had to win the final game in the ivory coast and they they went in there and won it it's incredible i mean you think about the fact that like they likely, I mean, would have been underdogs even in their first game, even in their home and home, you know, rounds. Yeah, yeah, and they then, were. Yeah, and then to make it from being the worst in their group, I mean, that's a that's a huge feat. I mean, it, it makes me think with this ranking that, like, you know, you wonder what the expectation is for for the people of Morocco. Like, is this a situation where they're just like happy to be in the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, well, first, you've got to be happy to be in the World Cup with that road to qualifying. You were an underdog at every step of the way. Right. Yeah, I think you're playing with house money at this point. I I really do. Right, which could be interesting. But I do think that, like, you know, if there's a team, and and I, you know, we'll talk about the group later, but if there's a team that is destined to be just fodder for their group, it seems like it's Morocco. However, I mean, come on, like, that's, like, that's, Probably what was said about them at every stage in the game. Yeah. Well, let's just get into a quick shakedown of the odds before you give your ranking. So their odds to get out of the group, which we, you've, if you were paying attention to the intro, you know part of the group, but you'll learn a little bit more once we get to that section. Their odds of getting out of the group are 18%. Their odds of getting the quarterfinals are 5%. Their odds of getting the semifinals are 1.5%. So the finals, about a half percent. And to win about a third of a percent, putting their odds at a nice round 300 to 1, which is not, it's not great. But, you know, look, they've been underdogs before. 
Yeah, and I mean, look, I mean, an 18% chance of getting out of the group is actually better than I thought it would be. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that 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 Morocco might be a little too bad for me to like hang my hopes on for this World Cup. But man, you got to respect that road to qualification. You have to respect that they've been the underdogs and that they will be obviously similarly underdogs going to this World Cup. But man, like they can make some noise. I like it. So let's say four out of 10. Four out of 10. I think a fair score. And you know, these Moroccans, plucky upstarts. I like it. They're, yeah, they're they're scrappy. <laughs> Very scrappy. They're sm- smarmy, if you will. They're, well, in Muslim culture, smarminess, that's very bad, Joe. Smarminess is frowned upon? Very much frowned upon. It's much like wow. couponing and alcohol consumption. <laughs> All right, Dan, I just I just drew from the deck. Category number nine. Number nine, Joe. Well, why not? I, I think category nine was the, the second category in another one, and this is a great one. System of government and head of state. Thanks to Fan Emeriti Bez and Ryan for their research here. So, the Kingdom of Morocco is the most westernly of the North African countries known as the Maghreb, the Arab West. It has Atlantic and Mediterranean coastlines, a rugged mountain interior, and a history of independence not shared by its neighbors. Morocco was a French protectorate from 1912 to 1956 when Sultan Mohammed became king. He was succeeded in 1961 by his son, Hassan II, who ruled for 38 years and played a prominent role in the search for peace in the Middle East. He also ruthlessly suppressed domestic opposition. Unlike other Arab countries, Morocco is a leader in modernization. Following the Arab Spring, the current monarch, King Mohammed VI, announced a series of reforms that would transform Morocco into a constitutional monarchy. This willingness to embrace public opinion and enact change is vastly different to the approaches taken by the leaders in Syria, Libya, and beyond. The politics of Morocco is now more balanced than in the past, with the power transferring away from the royal family to the people's elected government. This system is called a hybrid regime. It is the Prime Minister of Morocco who heads up the government, which includes several parties who compete for seats in Parliament. Elections are artificially restricted to ensure no one party can dominate. This means regular coalitions. Refreshingly, back in 2011, the many small opposition parties compromised with their opponents to form a rainbow government. Wow, I thought that was also frowned upon in Muslim countries. <laughs> the progressive king has taken many positive steps for his country, but before we pat him on the back, it should be noted that all judges are appointed directly by him. This ensures his influence is always a factor. Additionally, the royal family is often criticized for promoting certain political parties rather than remaining neutral, and many ministerial posts are given to those loyal to King Muhammad. Is the king really embracing democracy, or is he simply pretending to avoid Morocco heading the same way as many of its neighbors? And you know what, Joe? Let's learn more about this King Muhammad VI. Why you might like him. Passed a law giving women more freedom, addressing their rights and gender equality. Promised to take on poverty and corruption while giving jobs and improving Morocco's human rights record. While you might not like him. Has done nothing with corruption except further it, making his business interests present in everyday rule boycotted a West African summit because they also invited the Israeli Prime Minister. After Spain requested the pardoning of 48 Spaniards, he complied, and one of the pardoned was a Spanish pedophile serving a 30-year sentence for raping 11 children between the ages of 4 and 15. Ooh, that's not good. That's King. King Mohammed, come on. That's some opposition research there. Wow, Ryan. Wow. Wow, I was with King Mohammed until that pedophile thing. It's no good. Same, you know... This is this is more all over again. Uh, uh, 
look, I mean, I think we talked about this before. It's like, how much do we give credit to a government or a head of state for being like better, especially for the region? Like with, um, uh, you know, Costa Rica, the fact that they've been like relatively stable, you know, um, same thing with Uruguay, the fact that they've been like really like have not um, had issues with with the drug trafficking and stuff like that. They're like how much how much credit do we give to a place for like what is happening with its neighbors? Yeah. And I think that like if you look at it in that vein, it seems like the way that this monarch dealt with the Arab Spring issue by actually like enacting reforms that got people in you know a place where they weren't rioting in the streets, like that's a good thing. That should be a positive outcome for people. So I do think that like there needs to be credit for that for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, when I read this, has done nothing with corruption except further that making his business interest present is everyday rule. Yeah, you're that, like, what yeah. does that sound like? Yeah, it rings a little familiar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure this is much worse, but uh, you know, I mean, probably I, not. But I wonder what his approval ratings are. I don't know what I would give. I don't know what score I would give our current system of government either. So I don't know if that's the right comparison. Yeah. Well, this this that rainbow coalition sounds pretty good. I yeah. I mean, I actually think that like. It's an interesting debate of like what is better, like a a more pure democracy or one that actually like weights things a little bit more to make sure that there's less that there's more coalition governments. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I like it. I think that Morocco is a good example in the region. Uh, you know, I don't think they are fond of the Jews, but you know, we can all six thousand of them. <laughs> well, I think that's. I think there's a reason there's only six thousand of yeah, them there. They, they use the policy of self deportation. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way. It's a very generous way of putting yes. it. Yes. Uh, um, uh, but yeah, let's, you know, let's say six and a half out of 10. Six and a half. Look, Joe, you're giving the olive branch. This is huge. If King Muhammad hears this, he'll think, ah, oh, Jew giving him six and a half. Like this might pave the way for some uh, renewed peace talks. Yeah, this could be our own little rainbow coalition. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Let's get that Israeli prime minister in there hanging out. <laughs> Watching some World Cup games, yeah. I, me and me, me and Bibi Netanyahu watching, watching Morocco side by side. Yeah, that would be fucking weird. It's okay. Huge. Well, Joe, we'll get to this in the group, but their first match might be against a joint enemy. So the enemy <laughs> of their enemy could be. It, it could work. It could work. Dan, category number five. Number five, Joe. History with the U.S. men's national team. Well. There's not much. Morocco and the U.S. are not separated by a small strait. They're separated by a vast ocean. The one great ocean, you might say. Mm-hmm. Which I, I like to think of as just a really, really big strait. <laughs> it is. Really, really huge canal, actually. I think <laughs> the early civilization, they just hand-dredged it themselves. And we've played them three times in all international friendlies. The U.S. has lost all three times. Most recently in 2006, when we played Morocco in the send-off series for the 2006 World Cup. Wait, the U.S. has lost all three times? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the U.S. team is terrible, Dan. The U.S. team has only been good. Like, we think of the U.S. team now as, like, you know, workably good. But they really haven't been that good until, like, 2014, really. (laughs) We came in third place in the first World Cup, Dan. That's true. So... 1930, we're really good. There's and then, been a drought. Yeah. There was a long drought for about 80 years, and then we became good again. And then 
this year we sucked. Although we have our best player now, so it's a little. But look, we played them in the center series. They beat us 1-0, and it was just a harbinger of things to come because we went to the actual World Cup and stunk, where we, in our three group stage games, we scored two goals and managed a single point and uh, were easily and very quickly dispatched by the uh, much better group we were in. So, um, yeah, but here's a little interesting note. You know, when I do the research, Joe, because by the way, Superfan Sean did not do any of the research for this. Thanks, buddy. Sean, Sean, Sean. I don't look just at the history with the actual team. I look at the history with the country. And the U.S. and Morocco are facing off in something much more important than any stupid World Cup game. The U.S. and Morocco are facing off in the World Cup hosting competition in 2026, the two top bids are expected to be from the joint U.S.-Mexico-Canada bid versus the Moroccan bid. So in 2026, the World Cup is likely going to be either hosted on our or partially on our shores or it will be hosted in Morocco. Wow. That is going to make me hate Morocco. Yeah. It's going to be because they, Morocco is going to be talking a lot of trash because Morocco is going to have some oppo research and they're going to be like talking about our corruption and our horrible system of government and all the pedophiles. I mean, they're going to bring up Jared from Subway, Joe. They're going to bring that up. Oh, Morocco. You want to talk about pedophiles for a second? <laughs> Let's talk about what your king did. Yeah. Look, they're just, they're just going to show a loop of Subway commercials. And honestly, they're going to have the upper hand. I have our, our U.S. slogan. Come to the USA. Bring your Groupons. <laughs> but wait a second. The Moroccan restaurant in the USA was, was guilty of this Groupon. Are, are you saying that for your, as you were considering it, that Moroccan restaurant was Moroccan sovereign land? It was. It was. <laughs> Technically, it was. It was. That's right. <laughs> they just do not like couponing. That was their problem. They're like, sir, you cannot bring a Groupon to the Moroccan embassy. We don't serve food here. <laughs> You know, I think that's why FIFA might be liking the Moroccan bid, because they don't want these tickets to get discounted. You know, they know how it works. They they want to get full list price so they can make the most money. So then they can spend it on their corrupt things. I mean, who are we kidding? The U.S. is never going to host another World Cup. I know. I like when I was reading this, I was like, I just assumed the U.S. was going to, you know, put in the bid themselves. But the U.S. has to include Mexico and Canada just because they know that if it's just the U.S., the World Cup. FIFA is so corrupt, they would just never give it to the U.S. just out of spite. But it's not even corruption. I mean, it's interesting to watch FIFA, like, navigate this weird dynamic of, like, simultaneously just disliking American exceptionalism. And, like, the, and like I think there's, like, a view in world soccer of, like, hey, this is one thing that the U.S. does not fucking run, which is great yeah. for them. Yeah. Okay? And, like, so, so the economy, like... We don't want the U.S. to, like, own this shit versus, like, the, like, but we also want U.S. fans money. Like, and it's it's a weird balance. But I don't think that, like, I just can't imagine enough of the voters being like, yep, let's give it to the U.S. It's never yeah. going to happen. And look, Morocco is pretty rich with that phosphorus money. So it, this, this isn't like the Qatar thing, who are just rich with oil money, but then have, like, no bid. Like, I think Morocco... I think it's a pretty nice place other than the, uh, you know, lack of couponing and uh, alcohol situation. Yeah. I mean, the alcohol is going to be a problem for them. They have a lot of beer sponsors. Um, look, I was 
I, I was prepared to just give this a middle of the road score based on like very little time playing each other. But man, that bid. I'm all riled up now, Dan. Two and a half. <laughs> Look, I, I mean, the, before the next World Cup, in fact, the next World Cup competition the U.S. is going to be in is going to be just directly against Morocco. And it's going to be a vastly more significance than any World Cup matchup. What I would recommend, look, here's what here's my humble proposal for anyone in the uh, Moroccan or U.S. Federation listening, though there really is no U.S. Soccer Federation right now. Wait, are you going to help um, Morocco? Let's let's make it a joint bid: U.S., Mexico, <laughs> Canada, Morocco. Let's just do it together. Yay! They, they can't say no. Let's wait till we're the the final two bidders, and then let's join, and then they'll be stuck. That's going to be great. The the narrow strait of Atlantic, you know. Exactly. Just, <laughs> We're only separated by a strait. Yeah. Tiny. So convenient. <laughs> All right, Dan. Category. Oh, the wild card, Dan. Oh, wow. Joe, this is the first this, time the wild card has come into play. First time getting the wild card this early in the game. Let's Let's hear about some Moroccan celebrities. Wow. Going right to the Moroccan celebrities. You love the celebrities, Joe. I do. So, Joe, of course, celebrities come from Fan Emeriti and your good friend, Karsten. And normally, we, you know, we start out with the honorable mentions and we get into the podium. No honorable mentions, Morocco. Let's go straight to the podium. The bronze medalist celebrity is a household name, I would say, Mohamed Taib Ahmed who is a Spanish-Moroccan drug lord. He was smuggling 50,000 kilos of hashish per year across the Straits of Gibraltar. He was captured and arrested in 2003 and sentenced to eight years in a maximum security prison. Authorities were surprised to learn that he had been bribing guards and was living the life of luxury. He had three cells and access to a rooftop deck where he held (laughs) lavish banquets. He escaped for 10 days in 2008, but was recaptured following an anonymous tip. He... Is not on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe that's actually their number one export. It is possible. I mean, he's exporting it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the hashish, because I don't know much about hashish or much about Morocco, but it sounds to me, just based on my preconceived notions, that Morocco makes a lot of hashish. If we say generously that hashish is their number one export, I mean, give it to me with spices. Come on, that's close. <laughs> I don't think hashish is a spice. It's a well, drug. it's like an herb. Yeah. Wow. It's sort of like an herb diluted down, or not diluted, concentrated. No. No dice. And you're, you're going to have to look. I mean, you're going to have to do the calculations yourself, because they export a lot of cars, Joe. And, you know, yeah. cars have what good street the, value, too. What do you think the wheel wells of those cars are filled with? <laughs> Come on. It's true. That, it, it might have been a nice play, I mean, by Ford <laughs> and all these other places. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Who gets the silver medal? The silver medalist is filmmaker Lila Marakchi, who's most famous for the controversial film Marak. The film was 2006 most popular movie in Morocco, where it scored 3 million dirhams, about $800,000 American. It was controversial. Oh, I, thought, I, I thought 3 million dirhams was like someone's, like, <laughs> five star, five out of five stars. Yeah. In Morocco, it's out of three million stars. <laughs> Very confusing. The dirham system is uh, 2.1 million dirhams. Is that good or bad? I don't know. Three million thumbs up. 
<laughs> it was controversial. It's such a stupid system. All right. It was ahead. controversial because the film was about a Muslim Jewish romantic relationship between two young people in Casablanca. Her oh filmography is rather light, but she is responsible for a very popular film in Morocco, despite its controversial subject matter. Not on Twitter. Not on Twitter. Has Twitter come to Morocco? Is this is this how they dealt with Arab Spring? They just they just banned Twitter. Much like coupons and other things, Twitter is probably a no go in this, in Muslim culture. It's too open. They don't want that. The gold medalist Joe, producing for stars such as Nicki Minaj, Justin Bieber, and Selena Gomez. Carson knows the way to my heart. That's good. Okay. The gold celebrity is Nadir Kayat, better known for his stage name, Red One. In 2009, he was the Billboard Hot 100 number one producer and number three producer. Wait, what? I don't know. He did it twice. Maybe once under his real name, once under his stage name. He was that good that they're like, in the top 10, he's not just one. He's three. Give him two, give him two spots. Give him, give him, give him five million <laughs> dirhams. Five million dirhams. This guy's good. But I, I think ten million. Why not? Perhaps his most popular productions were Lady Gaga's Just Dance and Poker Face. He also wrote and produced Bad Romance. In two thousand and six, oh, FIFA made Red One the main producer for that year's World Cup musical program. He produced a remix of Shakira and Wyclef Jean's Hips Don't Lie, and it was performed at the 2006 final in Berlin. With I o- love that song. With over 1 million Twitter followers, and knowing that Red One has produced many songs on Joe's iPod, he runs away with the Moroccan gold. Incidentally, running away with the Moroccan gold is what Mohammed Taib Ahmed <laughs> did after dropping <laughs> off all that hashish. Very frowned upon in Morocco. Yeah. Uh, that this is some great A plus celebrity research, Karsten. Don't you think, Dan? I mean, look, he cut right to the heart of it. This is a celebrity that I didn't even know existed, but man, I'm a big Red One fan now. These are three celebrities I didn't know that existed. I mean, this drug dealer, this is great. I, I love this guy that is living three cells. I mean, I, the the funny part about having three cells is. What is he doing with – why does he have three different cells? Like I'd understand the concept of having like a bigger cell, but like w- he has one cell I guess that he sleeps in and I got one cell is like the bathroom and he's got this rooftop deck. I mean I, I don't understand. What's the third why- – why does he need so many cells? Yeah. I mean I think that's how these drug dealers do it. I watched that show Narcos and it showed Pablo Escobar when he was put in jail and he was like – basically he owned the whole jail. Like every every other inmate was just like friends of his. Because I, just a house. Well, I'm just thinking, like, instead of having three cells, I'd like to have one cell where the door like never closes, or maybe that's just what he had. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was three cells, but they knocked down some walls. They put in like, um, like you know, some like some nice like accent walls. You know, they painted some mm. some stuff. They like added like a a countertop to like separate the room, but yeah. make it feel more open. You're right. You I know? didn't think about the knocking down walls. This guy can probably yeah. do if he's getting this roof deck built. He's probably, Absolutely. you're right, you're right. It started yeah. as three cells and he turned it into one giant penthouse yep. cell. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Carson really, really did his work here. I like it. Morocco is producing some like sneaky good celebrities. This is a seven out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. Sneaky good, I think fan. is right. Big fan. Dan, category six. Category six. Fan culture from fan emeritus Yannick. The national football team is Morocco is called Irzem N. Atlassi, the Lions of Atlas. Being a fan of the Moroccan national team has its ups and downs. 
Basically, people celebrate every win and insult the players if they lose. Bit fair weather. All the people I asked were fairly negative about the Moroccans' chances in the World Cup. However, people in Morocco love to do mass performances in the stand. They also said they like to drink coffee while watching the games because many Moroccans don't drink alcohol. Their biggest rivals, Algeria, and also Tunisia and Egypt. Ooh, all North African. And all of which, conveniently, are in the World Cup this year. Really? Wow, that's a good preview. It's like a really, it's like a North African World Cup, huh? Yeah. But they're unlikely to meet, of course, because uh, none of them are probably going get, to get out of the group. But uh, yeah, so there you go. And, and hang on one second. Let's watch this video. So for you at home, we are now watching a video of a mass performance in the stands where it appears to my untrained eye that they have unfurled a giant uh, lion. It looks like a lion. And the Why does it say come back? What does come back mean? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they're saying FIFA, come back here in 2026 and bring the World Cup. Maybe they already think that they're going to be down early in the games. So they're like, we're going to have a comeback. We're going to we're making a comeback. <laughs> they're just getting it out of the way. <laughs> exactly. Although, of course, in that final group stage, they never conceded a goal, Joe. They were never down. That's amazing. It's just preemptive, though. Yeah. yeah. But it's a, a lion that has bright red eyes. I don't know if that's fire or what they have. But it's like actually red. They're like glowing red. There's another fire somewhere else. It spells comeback. It, they have the shape of Africa. And this is like all done by the fans, like holding up those little placards. And then presumably the fans that are underneath the eyes of the lion are like, creating a giant explosion or something. I don't know what it they're doing. It must be like, we're going to come back to the World Cup. Like, we're coming back. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a message to the producer, Red One. Like, get come back to, come back to Morocco. <laughs> Start producing your music here. There are more questions than answers. I don't know why, they're do- why it says come back. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I don't think we'll ever know. <laughs> we'll never know, but... Well, considering the description of the video is in Arabic, that's not helping. But, mm-hmm. but, but oddly enough, the message that they wrote on the stands is not in Arabic. That is true, which is another further question. <laughs> Why in a Morocco versus Tanzania match are they speaking in English? Well, you mentioned that you said Arabic was the official language of the country, but that the language of like diplomacy and politics is French. What you didn't read in the Wikipedia article is that the language of stand mass actions is actually english it's the official english and fire (laughs) glowing bright red fire this seems like like you know you know look i like i like a fan culture that you know they're going to do something at the world cup they're going to have some kind of you know like flash mobby type thing right like that's what they're all about Fans are going to be super excited to be back at the World Cup. I think this is obviously not a fan culture that is well practiced at being, you know, in these mass audiences with, you know, on a world stage. But I feel like they're going to bring it, let's say, five out of ten. Five out of ten. So I'll note you down for predicting a mini Arab Spring in Russia. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Because I'll tell you, Joe, once those Moroccans, when they're in Russia, I feel like some of them are going to get peer pressured into drinking vodka. And when they get drunk for the first time... And they load up that Twitter, anything could happen. Yeah. I mean, when they're, you know, in the non-repressive state of Russia, who knows? Who knows? Look, as long as there's no rainbow coalitions over there, I think they'll be fine. Booze and Twitter allowed, rainbow coalitions on the DL. Don't don't talk about it publicly. Be be careful. 
Don't say soy celeste. You're going to get big trouble. <laughs> Don't do it. Category seven. All right, Joe. Atrocities. Thanks to fan emeriti Josh PhD. Morocco's score depends on what you think about a place called Western Sahara. While the region is one of the most sparsely populated territories in the world, it is home to about 500,000 people and is 100,000 square miles in area. Western Sahara borders the extreme west end of Morocco and is exactly how you'd imagine it. Not a lot going on other than sand dunes. Morocco claims control over the region, as does the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic, an outgrowth of the socialist Polisario Front movement. Control of Western Sahara has been disputed since the 1960s when the Spanish relinquished control of the area. The history and politics of Western Sahara is murky, and I'm by no means an expert, but it is not a good look for Morocco. There have been serious human rights abuses and fighting in the region since the 1960s. Morocco considers the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic a terrorist group, though few other countries agree. While the Sahrawi movement has been connected to some acts of violence, Morocco has been implicated in a great deal of violence against civilians and acts of political persecution. This isn't great, and the conflict is still ongoing. He says the atrocity level, one of those peppers that you're not sure is spicy, then you eat it, and then it's surprisingly spicy, and you need some water. (laughs) You know, the thing I never understand about these disputed territories is like, like, why does Morocco want Western Sahara? Now, 500,000 people and some sand. I'm, I'm going to add in a little information that Josh PhD maybe didn't uncover, maybe didn't think was useful, but I, I know it based on my research. Joe, the answer is very simple. Phosphorus. Western Sahara is fucking packed with phosphorus, and Morocco wants that phosphorus so they can export it and make money. They want to bump phosphorus back up to the number one export. <laughs> That's and what they, they need want. Western Sahara to do it. They do. They do. I like. I looked this up on Google Maps. I like. I like when Google Maps instead of doing a line next to us, they did like the dotted line, as if like Google's just like fuck. We are not getting into this. Yeah, they like, don't want to get involved. We're gonna do the dotted line. Then both both can be either angry with us or happy with us. Yeah. I mean, look, they want that phosphorus. Is what it's what keeps uh, keeps their bread buttered in Marrakesh. I get it. That's that's how they get all that high class mint tea and hashish. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, look, look. I defer to Josh PhD in this category. He says they're on the spicy end of the scale. I'm going to go with that. Not like he didn't say like this is not like habanero spicy. I'm not burning my tongue here. Let's say three and a half out of ten. Yeah, three and a half. I you need a little bit of water. I think it's a fair point. You're. I think the country feels like, as you talked about in the um, system of government head of state, it feels like it's much more advanced than the region. But then they've got this giant phosphorus-rich area, and then you see their true colors a little bit. They'll do whatever it takes to get that phosphorus. I know. It's, it, it is funny that like the standard you judge by is like, okay, they're killing people, but they're not killing their own people. So like that's pretty good. Look, Joe, you're the one who puts the scale in the atrocities category. I I stay above this. I don't want to put a, a number on, on such human suffering. Dan, category number two. Let's talk about the group finally. Oh, my God. The group. They are in not group A, not group C, but right in the middle, Joe, group B. New group. We haven't talked about this group yet, right? We haven't talked about it yet, but guess what, Joe? We're going to talk about it twice tonight because both teams we're doing are in it. This group has Spain, as mentioned in the intro, Portugal, who also borders Spain. I mean, this is just like Spain, their western border and their southern border. 
Morocco, of course, and the final wildcard team, Iran. So, the stats. Spain is the betting odds favorite to win the group, about 60% chance to win. Portugal comes in second, about 30% chance. Morocco has about a 5% chance of winning the group, and Iran also about a 5% chance of winning the group. Spain is favored to advance, about 86%. Portugal also favored to advance, about 80%. And Morocco with their 18% chance, and Iran with their 16% chance. So this is a group that is two powerhouse teams and two not powerhouse teams. And uh, here's what 538 said about Group B. Group B is projected to be the strongest in the tournament, according to 538's Soccer Power Index, and will be headlined by an early game between the old rivals, Portugal and Spain, which will face off for just a second time at the World Cup. The Iberian Peninsula neighbors met for the first time in 2010, when the Spaniards won 1-0 on their way to the country's first ever World Cup victory, and the duo could meet again on the greatest stage of them all. They have the highest combined chance of making the final of any two teams in the same group. Now, they did not say anything about Morocco in that, but I'll note in 538's Football Power Index, they give both Morocco and Iran a little bit more towards a 25% chance of advancing. So, you know, the betting odds are a little bit lower on them, but I think that this group in particular, you've got these two powerhouse teams, but it would not be the first time in history that one of these powerhouse teams underperforms. And guess what? That fourth team, Iran, they're, they're no, like, football power. So this is, um, it's, it's a group where Morocco has a chance, and this is where the schedule is really important because Morocco's first game is against Iran. So this is the game where you want to invite that Israeli prime minister and root for Morocco with you to, to sort of, you know, get that connection going. And I read an article about it in, like, a Moroccan sports thing, and they basically said, that, you know, their game against Ivory Coast was like a World Cup final for them because they had to win to get in. Although they had to draw to get in, but whatever. You know, they still effectively had to do that. The match against Iran is like that for them. The article is like their first match, the opening match, is their World Cup no, final. 100%. Because if 100%, they don't beat yeah. Iran, they're done. But if they do beat Iran, they've got a chance. And, and so that... It, it's just a really exciting group because both of the first round matchups, Spain versus Portugal, which we'll, you know, getting to in the, the second half of this doubleheader, and Morocco-Iran are both super interesting matches that have massive potential for the group. And, um, you know, sometimes the group sort of splits it up where it's the two favorites versus the, like, two bad teams. And this is like a really, uh, it's going to be a really fun group from both start to finish. And... Who's Morocco playing in the second game? Are they playing Spain or Portugal? From a like betting perspective, it doesn't really matter because both Portugal and Spain are so much better than them. But uh, I believe they're playing Portugal second and Spain third. No, I mean, because I think it does. Okay, so if if we're assuming that Spain is better than Portugal, which, but whatever. Okay, so if, let's say, the thing that's a favorite thing to happen is Morocco beats Iran. And let's say that they actually are able to like run up the score. And Spain beats Portugal. I know. I wouldn't that, say that Morocco, I think in betting odds, Morocco in and Iran are like considered equals. But yes, we'll, yeah, we'll assume for yeah. the Moroccan point of view, they beat Iran. So they beat Iran and Spain beats Portugal. They're going into that second game actually with an advantage against Portugal, which means all Morocco has to do is like sit the fuck back and just hope that Portugal can't sneak in a goal. Yeah, look, and we know they've got that stellar defense. They didn't yeah, give up I mean, a single goal. It's actually, I mean, the timing of it is really interesting for them. 
you know, also, I mean, just, just the, the regional nature of this group is like completely fascinating. I mean, you talk about like narrative, like, I mean, Iran is sort of like, you know, they like are like the like uninvited guests to the party or like, you're like, Oh, Hey, what's Iran doing here? Uh, but like, but like, it seems unfathomable that this would happen in like one of the few world cups that Morocco, uh, qualifies for these teams that are separated by only a straight would be playing in the same group. It's pretty incredible. And I think it's going to just like create some exciting football. And also I think, you know, when there are regional rivalries, like, you know, games tend to like, you know, like weird things can happen. I mean, look, I don't think that anyone needs to like get psyched up to play a world cup game, but it is just weird to be playing your close neighbor. Yeah. Um, no, it's fun. And, and I didn't mention this in the history, but it came out of research. It's just a really fun region because it was like the Moors, you know, the, the Muslim and Arabic culture sort of dominated Spain for a very long period of time. And then, you know, the, the Christian slash European forces took over Spain. And then for a while, Spain was like making inroads into Morocco and like trying to take over stuff. And so is France. So it's, it's kind of like one of the few things where like everybody thinks of Africa as being like exploited by Europe. But this is one of the few rivalries where it actually went both ways a little bit. Where yeah, I mean, obviously not the the modern day country of Morocco never uh, like who, the the ruling family now like never was um, going into Spain. But historically, it really went both ways. And you know, Portugal obviously we'll get to that in the next episode. They're in the area. They're doing the same shit. It's just such an interesting group because these these countries are so intertwined in history for thousands of years. Well, and this idea that, like, you know, you know, like Spain, especially southern Spain, has such like still currently Moorish influences, and Morocco has a ton of Spanish influence. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just, a, it's just a fascinating group, both like geopolitically or historically, I guess, and also just for like the current players and teams. I think it's a really strong group. I don't think there's any way in hell that Morocco is getting out of this group, but like, they're going to at least have two really, really interesting storyline games and one game that they hopefully for them will win. So that's not a bad World Cup if you're a Morocco fan and sort of like feel like, as you said, you're playing with house money. So I think just like you can ask for a better group if you're them because you have a outside shot of getting through and you're going to have some fun games in the meantime. Yeah. You want to play the best of the best. Portugal and Spain are, are the best of the best. Uh, you know, I think this is a solid... Seven out of ten. Seven out of wow, great score. Say you're watching the World Cup at a bar and they've got like five different TVs. So you know you got lots of different games on, and you'll see tune in one game and you'll be like, Oh my god, Morocco versus Iran, like what a stupid, boring game. But now it'll be like, Oh my god, that like this game is so interesting because it's effectively one of those teams is getting eliminated right then and there. And Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, no, it changes I mean the way we're talking about this and like the perspective that we're bringing, especially to those first games, like, man, it's going to be so exciting to yeah. watch. And like the Spain Portugal game is going to be very, very exciting. And I, I don't think anybody should diminish that because that, that whichever team wins that game, if one does, they're sort of making their opening statement. They're like, hey, we're for real. But honestly, if the, the losing team is fine, I mean, all they have to do is beat Morocco and Iran and then they're still coming out of the group. So that game is not necessarily as important, whereas Morocco must win their first game. Otherwise, they're done. Yeah, but, you know, at the same time, I mean, you know, these early games when there when there are two powerhouses, like, who are kind of, like, locked together in an early game, I think, you know, when Spain got eliminated early last time, I remember it was sort of like, 
it snuck up on me as a fan because I wasn't really paying attention to the group. And then suddenly it was the third game and it was like, oh, if Spain doesn't win this, they're going to be eliminated. And you're like, what? What the fuck? Yeah. You know? But like now you sort of see like, okay, like Morocco's chance of making it through, their pathway is basically whoever loses that group B first game between Portugal and Spain. And then if Morocco draws them in the in the second game, and then basically all Morocco has to do is they had to have, you know, run up the score more against Iran yeah. than what Spain or Portugal does. And so you see how like, oh, like it's actually like, like that's the pathway because when you only have three games, it's like one slip and, you know, you're out. That's it. Yeah. Well, we're going to come back to running up the score in the uh, <laughs> second half of this doubleheader. But Joe, what's I our bet. next category now? Category four. Top player to watch. Thanks to Fan Emeritus David. Also PhD. Ooh, we got a, we got a lot of PhDs in our ranks. That's great. Yeah. Look, this is a very informative podcast, Joe. No, we're we're nothing if not informative. Their player to watch is Amin Harit, who plays for FC Schalke 04. He's 20 years old. Attacking midfielder winger. Born in France, played for all the U France teams. However, decided now to play for Morocco. As a big Dortmund fan, I hate Schalke their biggest rival. <laughs> However, Amin Harit is really good. Good ball handling, really quick in his head, switching from defense to offense, smarmy, good dribbling, etc. In a sum, I wish he would play for a different team, but I'll look forward to watching him during the World Cup. In your favorite FIFA game, FIFA 18, his skill level is 75 with a potential at 85. That's huge. And David gives a rating, and David, who's intimately familiar with them, of 9 out of 10. Wow. Half of this video is him making these Dortmund players look like idiots. I see why David hates him. I mean, half of this video is him getting, like, assaulted by other players. <laughs> I know. Man, the fucking German League is tough. I know. Jeez. It's just, like, getting ravaged. <laughs> oh stuff's getting ripped. It's... Literally, this entire video is just a compilation of him like dribbling through people and then getting viciously fouled as he's just beating one. people. Wait, is this? Wait, what's it? Is this? Is this? No, these are just goals, skills, and assists. This isn't like specifically a video of him getting fouled. <laughs> There's another one. Wait, this is a joke, right? No, I'm, I'm telling you. No, in in the Bundesliga, it's it's not about how good you are. It's it's about how much you can take a beating and, and get back up. But is this like David, like, is this him, like, throwing shade at him? Like, oh, his only skill is, like, taking a dive? I mean, do you think David made this video, put it onto YouTube, got it to 60,000 views with an incorrect title just to fool us on this podcast? Correct. Correct. That is what I, yes, that is what I'm suggesting. I, yes. I don't think so. I mean, I think the video is showing him, I think his best skill, it doesn't seem like he scores a lot of goals or, I mean, it seems like he might get a lot of assists. It seems like his primary skill is he takes the ball dribbles through a bunch of, of guys, beats a bunch gets of fouled. guys, and then either gets fouled or, or makes a good pass. Like, he doesn't seem like a, a great scorer, but he absolutely is great with his, his footwork, and he is, like, weaving Yo, he through is guys. Smarmy, man. Yeah. Jeez. The smarm on this guy. Off the charts. Yeah, I understand why. I mean, this is the type of guy that if he were in space and had the ball, like, you'd be terrified of him. Like, I understand why the other team fouls him so much. Yeah, you're basically just like, well, let's bring this guy down. Yeah. Oh, he's going to play for Tottenham Hotspur one day. Yeah, he'd be, he'd be good. Man, if he could just feed the ball, smarm it up, give it to Harry Kane to finish. Oh. 
It's like a little Deli Alley in him. Yeah, I like it. You know, this music on this video does not match the, like, tone of the video at all. No, I, I muted it. David, next time you make a video, <laughs> different music selection. I mean, he gets fouled again every clip. I know. All right. I like this guy. Good choice, David. Off the chart smarms. I love it. Future Tottenham Hotspur. I'm in. Uh, seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. Wow, that's the highest score ever in this category, Joe. And look, he's only 20 years old. So how fun is it? I mean, we're missing it with Pulisic, but like, how fun is it going to be for this guy to get to play his first World Cup at age 20? And really, I mean, he's playing for Morocco, so I assume he's like playing the entire game. And he's French-Moroccan. I mean, this guy could have been, you know, capped by France, but no. Wow. No, he's playing in Morocco. That's got to be an interesting story. I'm sure he chose Morocco because he wasn't going to make the French team. Well, yeah, but when you're 20, I mean, yeah, but you can he wasn't make gonna, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he point. wasn't going to make it. Yeah, it's an interesting decision. To, it's true. It's true. Number 11. Number 11, Joe, the national anthem from fan emeritus PhD Tony. The Moroccan national anthem is Him Cherifian. The origin story. The tune of Him Cherifian was already in use in Morocco when it was a French protectorate, along with a different set of lyrics. Upon independence in 1956, the anthem was confirmed, but the lyrics were not. A new set of lyrics were written in 1970 by Ali Squali Husseini. The Sharif of the title is a term given to the one who is a protector of the tribe and all its assets. The lyrics, Itis, a revolution song declaring independence. Fountain of freedom, source of life, safety and sovereignty may you ever combine. Up, my brethren, strive for the highest. We call to the world that we are here ready. Fun facts? Tony doesn't have any fun facts regarding the anthem, but... He says, you might like to know that the original flag of Morocco used to have a Star of David on it, which if you'll you'll see now, I'm sure we'll see it in the kit, is now flipped from a Star of David to a five-pointed star. But Joe, sit back, get ready. I mean, it's jaunty, short. You know, I I can't help but feel like it doesn't sound like what I picture as like Moroccan music. Like it it sounds very, I mean, honestly, it sounds very European. Yeah, well, it was uh, in use when France controlled uh, Morocco. Yeah. I mean, look, we have a gold standard now. We have the Uruguayan National Anthem. We have a really high bar. And we have the great story of the Costa Rican National Anthem. Uh, I gotta say, I'm a little bit disappointed with this one. It's 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 okay, uh, and doesn't have like a, like a great story behind it, as far as I can tell. Two out of ten. Two. Ooh, 
Wow, the lowest score yet. Ouch. And I guess, well, let's see if they can salvage something in the last category. No draw necessary. Rate the kit. So it's very red, green shoulders, uh, and it has their, I don't know if this is their 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 national flag on it, but I see the five-pointed star. You should see the Morocco flag. It's literally just solid background and then the star in the middle. Yeah. I mean, these are nice. I like it. I actually think I like the, you know, there's a red, a white, and a green. So I guess the green would be the alternate. I actually like the green one the best. Um, but it's good. I mean, I like it. I like it. A little, you know, and I'm sure this isn't what they're going for being a Muslim country. It's like a little bit, it's like a Christmas red and green. It's a little bit Christmassy. Yeah. And I don't like, I don't like know a ton about Christmas, but like, I feel like the, you could like, like, is that like the, is their logo like the star that you put on top of the tree? Like, I could see it getting confusing for someone who celebrates Christmas to just turn on the TV and see that. Like, why are they wearing a Christmas outfit? Yeah. But, but yet I know so little about Morocco, but somehow I feel like if I saw this team playing and I didn't know what country it was, I'd be like, that's Morocco. I have no idea why. If I saw the red jerseys, I wouldn't think that. If I saw red, I'd be confused. But if I saw this green jersey with that thing, because I mean, if you look at their flag, I mean, their flag is like the reverse. Their flag is the the red with the, the green star, but somehow the green, it just feels like Morocco. I agree, but I I think that the red is their main kit. So who knows if they even wear the green at all in the World Cup. Wow. But look, overall, I think it's a good kit. It's a good kit. Looking forward to seeing what 2018 is. I mean, it seems like historically their kits have been relatively like plain, so they're probably not going to like really like, you know, they're not going to add a random stripe or whatever. That'd be too fancy for them. Yeah. But this is good. This is good. This is a a 5 out of 10. Solid. 5 out of 10. Wow. Well, Joe... That leaves us with one category left, the drink. You said at the beginning you had some some takes already. You've consumed the drink. What do, what do you think? Dan, this is a great drink. Great drink. Wow. I mean, you got to try this next time you're not sick. Uh, this could be never. Basically... Could, be, could be the episode, hopefully, right before the World Cup starts. The playoff episodes, maybe. It's, it's a um, more citrusy because of the lemon juice version of an old fashioned. And then with mint, mint is a great addition to the old fashioned. Really? Because I was thinking maybe it would be too much, a little too minty. It would overpower the drink. Not at all. Not at all. Wow. Great combination. It takes what is like the soothing flavor of an old fashioned and makes it both soothing and refreshing. Wow. Big fan. Joe. Big fan. I want to have one of these now. Shit. (laughs) Damn my health. It's good. It's good, Dan. Who knew that Morocco would have the best drink? Uh, Bogart Mint Sours. Round of them for everyone. No, they're good. Um, I mean, the one thing I'll say is like, look, obviously, uh, this isn't really like a Moroccan drink, but um, but good drink choice, Sean. Big fan of it. Look, Seven Joe. out of ten. Put, Seven out of ten. Dan. Put, put some hashish and phosphorus in there. <laughs> oh. Some hashish and mint tea and phosphorus? I mean, yeah, I'll say uh, delicious. No. Seven and a half out of ten. That's that almost gets it above Russia, but doesn't quite. But it, it does get it into the second best drink. So that puts Morocco at a total of fifty-seven points, which puts their average score at five point one eight. So 
a little bit above an average of five per category. For a little reminder, for Australia, which was 4.8, you said no. For Sweden, which was 5.9, you said yes. So we now are in this this amorphous gray area in the middle between the Swedes, which with the average score of six, around six you were in, you said Australia, 4.8, not good enough. Morocco for you, where are they? Are they going to make it into the round of 16 or are they going to come up a little bit short? Morocco are real, real cuspers. Ah, this is a tough one, man. I like what Morocco is bringing. I, I feel like they're going to bring some good energy to the World Cup. I think, I mean, you got to love the the group, the the regional rivalry, the um, path to qualification, I think are all great stories. I, I just think at the end of the day, what tips it for me is that is that I think that that's similar to when we talked about Costa Rica. If Morocco were to make it out of the group, it would be amazing. It would be like huge and exciting for a fan of the Morocco team. I just think with this group, I just think it's just a little too unlikely. Uh, so I'm going to have to say no to Morocco. Oh, no. But, but it's a heartbreaking no. Heartbreaking no. Morocco, they, they crossed so far. But the straits of Joe's rating system just couldn't make it across. It's too hard. <laughs> it, it might have had something to do with the uh, Muslim Arabic culture and then leaving the uh, the Israeli person out. That was a big mistake. No, 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 Dan, don't don't ignite don't ignite centuries old aggressions. Look, we're nothing back, to do with that. We're back together. We're all rooting against Iran. Look, everybody's happy with that. So let's Look, just come together on there, that first there game. Will be, there will be a predominantly Muslim country in my Sweet 16. I guarantee that. All right. I, I'm sure there will be. Look, we have nothing against the Muslims, Joe. We just don't like that they're not having good relations with other countries. I mean, come on. Just uh, enough with these countries. I mean, we're going to get into it in another dominant Muslim countries that didn't let uh, Israeli players compete. I mean, just enough with it. Just I do. Th- who I do gives think- a shit? That's that like sports should be above geopolitical fighting, right? That like, yeah, I mean, like North and South Korea play. It's just, you know, whatever. Maybe they do. They do, right? Yeah. I don't know. I, there's North and South Korea are at the Olympics are going together with the same flag. Yeah. That's like their women's hockey team is literally going to be a combination of South Korean and North Korean players. A lot of those North Koreans are going to defect. <laughs> yeah, All right. Yeah. All right. Enough of this. Morocco. All right, great job, Morocco. Morocco, we enjoyed it. Boy, that drink is something we're going to put a bookmark in. Come back to that later. But unfortunately, not into the Sweet 16. But hey, look, when we're watching that Morocco-Iran game, the Morocco-Portugal game, and the Morocco-Spain game, we're going to understand the significance of those games. And, and I'm going to tune in. I want to see how they do. But Dan, I feel like anyone who's listened this far should get access to our uh, international lounge. Yeah, yeah. Let's let them in. So, everybody, you're now a super fan. Go to joepickspot.com slash international lounge. There you'll see all the ratings that have been done so far. You'll see any secret information we're trying to get to you. And, of course, you will see our poll question for this week. Joe, what's our poll question for this week? Dan, I think it's be the question on everyone's mind. Straits versus canals. <laughs> Are you a straight person or a canal person, Dan? 
That's a good question. I'm, I'm actually ha- going to have to think about it because they both I, are I think so. About it too. I, they're both are so different. I mean, the great Fjord Lake debate of 2017. We both knew immediately where we stood. Straight canals. I, you know, I think that I, a lot of pros and cons. A lot of pros. I'm going to have to research and see what kind of straights are out there because I, I, I'm aware a little bit of what kind of canals we got. The Erie Canal. You got the Panama Canal. You know, I'm familiar with some canals, but... You know your canals, yeah. What other straits are there? I don't know. Are there straits? Is Strait of Gibraltar the only strait? Would that would that make you like it more or less? I think it would make me like the Strait of Gibraltar more, but straits as a whole less, because there's just mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. so uh, research required, but look, I'll, I'll research, I'll get my vote in, and you all should do the same. JoePickSpot.com slash International Lounge. There, you can, you'll see the, the secret email address. Send us your feedback. We always love to hear it. And uh, yeah, that's all for this episode, Joe. Good night, Dan. See ya. Mm-hmm.